Our scripture today comes from uh, the Second Corinthians chapter five. I'll be reading from verses six through seventeen. I read from the New Revised Standard Version. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God. And I hope that we are also well known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who are alive, who live, might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you, O Lord, because we know that you're going to speak to us through it. I ask you, O Lord, to inspire my words to be your words, Lord, and to help us, O Lord, to learn something new from this word. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we start off with a statement of confidence by the Apostle Paul. He's not saying I'm handsome or smart or strong. He's not saying, you know, I got all the answers to all the questions. He's not saying I've done everything right and never made any mistakes. What we find in him today is a statement of confidence about where he stands before God. And in order to be able to understand where he's coming from, you really have to go back to chapter 4 and the end, uh, beginning of chapter 5 to be able to understand because this is a, a scripture passage, chapter 4, verse 16, through chapter 5, verse 1, which you are actually very familiar with. It is a scripture that reminds us that Jesus went to prepare a place for us so that where we are, he may, we may be also. And that when this earthly tent is destroyed, what? We have a building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So what is Paul actually confident about? He is confident that the one who promised to go prepare a place for him actually did it. 
that Jesus actually went to prepare that place and that if right now his life was to end, he knows where he's going. How many of us have that confidence? Amen? We have that confidence, right? We're here because we have confidence in the promise of Jesus to prepare a place for us when this life is through. But Paul longed for that place. You know, when I know that something is prepared for me, I kind of want to have it. When I know the dinner is ready at home and I'm still 30 minutes away, my stomach begins to go, hey, we're ready, let's go. When you know that the place has been prepared for you and that it is better than anything you can have in this world, it's easy to understand that you would be anxious to receive it and to have it. And so he is confident that it is ready and that confidence makes him long for it even more. And as he is longing for it, he is struggling a little bit because he realizes his time to enjoy it has not yet come. You know, you, you're not there yet. That's the famous phrase that kids use in the car. Are we there yet, right? If you had asked Paul, are we there yet? He would have had to say, I am not quite there yet. The Lord is not finished with me yet. There's still stuff for me to do before I get to enjoy my heavenly reward. And you know, most of us probably can relate to that. We're not there yet. We still have things to work out. We still have things to do. We still have things that God has planned for our lives, and he hasn't called us home yet. But it doesn't mean that we're not longing for that moment when we will enter eternity. Paul comes to the conclusion that whether he lives or whether he dies is not what's important. Because as a Christian, if you live or if you die, you're a winner. If you live, you get to live for the kingdom of God, inviting more people to enjoy the presence of God in their lives, the restoration that he brings, the new life that he offers. And if you die, you get to enjoy that new life in Christ in eternity, that heavenly reward that we have all been promised. This is one of the reasons that whenever I pray with somebody who is sick, who's a Christian, I say, we're going to pray that the Lord heal you one way or another. Because if you get well, you give glory to God. And if you don't get well, you get to enjoy glory before me. So you did good. You see, as a Christian, we don't face things the same way as others. We see them with the hope and the confidence of the salvation that Jesus has given us. And then Paul goes on to say, you know, we, we all are going to face that day when we do get called home. And when that happens, we are going to need to go before God and give an account to, for everything that we have done, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, we have to give an account for all of those things. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So what we do with this life needs to matter needs to be important. Why is he saying this? Because he's writing to the church of Corinth. And in the church of Corinth, there were some people that were saying, hey, you're saved. Go do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. And Paul is saying, no, we are all going to have 
to give an account for our lives, for how we used our time and our resources, our efforts, our thoughts, everything that we are, we will have to present before God, before his judgment throne. When I was growing up, my dad was kind of a workaholic. Some pastors tend to be. He was in the church like six days out of seven, like every week. And I would get home from school, and I knew that he would be home for, what, dinner. Because, you know, we guys are good about that. We don't miss dinner. We come home for dinner. And I remember thinking, Dad's going to be home around dinner time, and he's going to ask me two things. Did you do your homework? And did you do your chores? <laughs> and because I knew that that question was coming, guess what I did? My homework and my chores. Because I knew that there would be consequence. I knew there would be a moment of reckoning in which I would have to answer those questions. What Paul was trying to say is that God has given us plenty of warning so that we know that there will be a time in which we will have to stand before him as a righteous judge and give an account for what we have done with what he has given us. And that includes our lives. It includes our time. It includes our resources. It includes everything about us. And he says, if you're going to have to stand before God and before Christ, then what you do now matters because it makes a difference. Paul was saying, you know, there are times when it's going to be hard to do the right thing and times when it's going to be hard to follow the call of what God has given you. But you have to do it because there will be a time of reckoning. Paul knew that God knew his work very well. And so his confidence was in the Lord. It wasn't even on himself. It was the confidence that came from what? From his conversion. You know, his conversion was so dramatic and so direct that there was no question who was calling him because Jesus told him, it's me. You know, it's like somebody else might have doubted, but he knew who called him because it said, it's Jesus, you know? There was no doubt. And if, if Paul had been asked, what mission do you want to get in the kingdom of God? He probably would have said, I want to go and preach about Jesus to my fellow Jews because they, they need to be saved and accept Jesus. But instead, what did he get sent to? The Gentiles. He got sent to the Gentiles of all people. You know, for him, that must have been hard as a Jew. Here are all the Jews and here are the Gentiles, and he often went to the Jews trying to share with them about Jesus, and what happened? They rejected him, and he ended up where? With the Jews, with the Gentiles. And what did the Gentiles do? They often embraced the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, you can't read the book of Acts without discovering that God continued to direct Paul's path at every step of the way, and that he wasn't his own boss. Paul had an idea of what he wanted to do with his life. And he had an idea, even when he became a Christian, of which places he should visit. Sound familiar to you? You got some ideas of where you want to go and what you want to do and who you want to be with? And what is the Lord doing? 
as he's traveling through the places and he goes, I'm going over there. God goes, no, you're going over there. And as he's trying to go in a certain direction to a certain group of people, God is saying, no, you're not going over there. You're going over here because these people need to hear about Jesus. He even gives them a dream of a man in Macedonia asking him to please come help. You know, this is the way God works. Paul knew that his call was real because of the way it happened on the road to Damascus, but he also discovered along the way in his ministry that God has a way of changing our plans and redirecting us when we get off track and that God's plans are always better than our plans. Paul wanted us to be aware that this is going to happen because it's easy for us to want to impose our agenda on God instead of adopting God's agenda into our lives. Paul knew that he was just well known to God because God had called him into all of this. But there were some people in Corinth that were criticizing Paul for the way he did his ministry. And I want to tell you something. There's always going to be a critic out there no matter what you do. There's always going to be somebody who's going to find fault with your or with the way you worship or with the way you read your Bible or with the way you try to live out your faith. And Paul was saying, they don't know you, but God knows your heart. As long as your heart is right with God as you're trying to pursue your faith and you're doing things with the right spirit to bring about the kingdom of God, don't worry about those who are criticizing you. He tells the people in Corinth, you all can brag about me all you want because no matter what they say, the gospel came because God brought me to you all so you could receive it. He says, I'm not trying to brag about myself. I just want you to know with confidence that it was God who sent me and God who brought me here. Paul wanted the Corinthians to understand that all he had done was for their sake. And then he says something that I could really relate to. If I'm crazy, for your, it's for your sake and for God's sake. And if I'm of sound mind, it's for your sake too. You know, he says, no matter what condition you find me in, it's for you. If I'm shipwrecked, it's for you. If I get stoned, it's for you. If I get run out of town time and time again, it's so that you can receive the gospel and hear the good news. He says, whatever it is that I go through, it's for your sake. And if at times I'm too direct, I almost hear him saying in the background, it's for you. If I'm a little harsh at times, it's for you. Because I want you to know the confidence that I have in Christ. And that confidence goes back to the rope of the resurrection and the eternal life that has been offered to us in Jesus. You see, for Paul, this was foundational. You can't be a Christian without the resurrection. There is no Jesus Christ without the Christ part after the resurrection. There has to be the resurrection in order for us to have any hope of experiencing that eternal life with God. Because Jesus died, he said, for all, all have died. You know, 
that phrase can be a little confusing, but what basically he was saying is every single person needed salvation. There was not one person out there that could make it without Jesus. There was no one out there good enough to save themselves. We all needed grace. And because we needed grace, Jesus came to pay the price for all of us. And what does that do for us? Well, according to Paul, it gives us the opportunity to become a new creation in Christ. To leave the old behind and to take on the new. You know, when you know what Jesus has done for you, it changes you. When you realize that he died on that cross, not just for the whole world, but for you individually, when you know that he, he did it because he loves you individually, when you understand that God has plans for your lives, it changes you because it makes you think about all that God has prepared ahead of time for you. You know, it's amazing to me that before the foundation of the earth, God already had us in mind. God was already looking to see what he would do with us. When you understand and you realize that without Jesus, we would all be dead to sin, it changes you. It transforms you. But how? How is it that we are really changed? Because, you know, this is important. Do we just dress nicer and show up in church once a week? Is it just that we buy a Bible and put it somewhere in the house or in the car so everybody knows we're Christian? I mean, what is it about us that really changes? Well, according to Paul, we begin to look at things from a different point of view. Things begin to change in the way we look at things. We now walk by faith and not by sight. We look at things from a new understanding of what God is doing in the world and not just what we see with our human eyes. Did you know that your eyes lie to you every day? It's amazing, but they lie to you every day. Your brain overrides your eyes and fills in gaps in what you see. That is the reason why you can take scrambled up word that has the first letter and the last letter as the word that you're trying to read and you can still read it with the letter scrambled. Have you ever done that? Did you know that? That is why thousands and hundreds of thousands of people argued online over the color of a dress a couple of years ago because everybody saw it a different color. Because your human eyes can lie to you. This is why Paul is saying you need to focus on your spiritual eyes. To be able to see and walk by faith means that we now understand that our fight is not with flesh and blood. It is not with your neighbor. It is not with your coworker. It is not with your family member. It's against principalities and evil powers that are above that in the spiritual realm. And they come to attack, steal, and destroy. And if you don't understand who you're fighting, you'll fight the wrong way. How many of you saw a prayer room? 
Anybody saw prayer room? War room. I call it prayer room because it's the same stuff. War room. War room. That movie just blows your mind. Why? Because it reminds you that the kind of fight that we have is the kind of fight that can only be won through prayer. Not fighting with other people, but understanding who the real enemy is and continuing to use our faith as our weapon. Our faith in Christ as that which sustains us and carries us through. This is a new way of looking at things. And Paul is basically saying, as a new creation in Christ, you get to have fresh eyes to be able to look at things no longer from a human perspective, but from the perspective of God. For those of you that are having trouble with that, think about when you read a book and you have first-person characters, third-person characters, and omniscient authors. The first-person character only knows what they know and what they're going through inside, right? You'll only be able to see what is going on with them. You move to a third-person perspective, and they can see a lot wider angle, but they don't know what's going on inside the person that the story is about. But then you have the omniscient author. And the omniscient author knows everything. Everything. There's nothing outside of that author's knowledge or understanding. And what we have to understand is that we know the omniscient author of life. We know the one who understands everything inside and out from the end to the beginning, the first and the last, the one that covers it all. And if you want to have the right point of view, then you need to ask him to take your first person perspective and up it, not to third person, but to omniscient. To give you wisdom that doesn't come from knowledge of your own understanding, but that only comes through revelation. You know, sometimes we need to know what's going inside, on inside the heart of someone else. You can't know that unless God reveals it to you. You can't understand somebody's pain unless God lets you feel it. You can't even share completely in somebody's joy until God makes you laugh with them in that joy. There is something that happens when this perspective comes in that gives us a view that we have never had before. And we see things that we go, duh, how did I not see that? It was so obvious there now, looking back. But it only happened when God gave you his point of view to be your own. You know, Paul's point is that we are no longer limited by seeing things the way we normally look at things now we can go to the Lord and say Lord help me to see my neighbors hurt and pray for them or be with them help me to experience what is going on in somebody's life so I can be there and lend a listening ear or provide some support help me to understand the struggles of my family members so I know how to pray for them or how to intercede you know before all things were made, God already knew what was going on. And he knew that we would be there. 
And all he's waiting for is for us to say, Lord, open my eyes so I can see what I need to do and where I need to do it. Paul understood that in Christ we are a new creation, that through God's view we can really see people in in his love and not in our love, in his way and not in our way, and that his view is much better than ours. This view helps us to see what is really important. You know, I got new glasses, and one of the things that they do when they give you new glasses is they have you do that eye test where they make you see far and near and to find out what it is that you need. There are times when we need God to correct our vision because we have been looking at people the wrong way. We have been looking at their sin or we have been looking at their faults or we have been looking at their failures and we have not been looking at them through the eyes of love that God has that wants to restore them and renew them and make them new. And God helps us to let the things that are not important fall out of view and the things that are important to come into focus. And I don't know about you, but I always need God to tune my focus because there's just too much in my eyesight. There's too much, too much. And I need God to say, here is what's important. Focus on this. We can only do this because God helps us. If we try to do it by ourselves, we will argue with our neighbor about what color the dress is for years to come. And we will continue to struggle against coworkers, family members, and friends because we're not using the wisdom and the foresight of God to know exactly when and what to say or do. So I invite you today to let your vision be made new. I'm not inviting you to even open your sight this much. I'm inviting you to throw away the cup and to stop using the way you see things as the only way to see things. Look for God and let him look for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you because you do make all things new. And one of those things that needs to be made new in us today is our sight. Lord, Heavenly Father, we ask for a a transplant, Lord, an eye transplant. Give us your eyes to be our eyes. Give us your view to be our view. Help us to walk by faith and not by our own sight. And help us to trust you, Lord, that even where we cannot see a way, you make a way. And even when we can't understand what you're doing, you're still at work. Lord, make us new in you. And help us to invite others to be made new as well. For we know, O Lord, that there's freedom and there's redemption in you. For all those who come. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. The altar is always open if we need help seeing better on this day.